Well, I want to uh, just say first, uh, before I forget, thank you in advance for everyone who I saw coming in and bringing gifts and putting them by our trees in the lobby area. You have blessed several families uh, of our neighbors uh, next door, Sand Creek Elementary. Those gifts will go to the school and from the school to some families in our community in need. You have done that. You have made that possible. You have shared the love of Christ in a very tangible way. Uh, for some of our neighbors, and I thank you for that. There are more ornaments available for more gifts that can be given to the Severe Weather Shelter Network now through Christmas Eve. And on that, what do you think about my shirt? Yes, and amen. So if you're new, you're visiting, you're wondering what cult you've just walked into. Um, so I just finished a series, and I really went deep on saying we want to be a yes and amen church, meaning yes to the truth of God and amen. We profess it, we believe it. But also, uh, I like a vocal church. I like an engaged church. I like to have a conversation as well as a, as well as a uh, communication to go on here during the message. So you are all invited to let me know know when I'm doing good, and if ever the case may uh, warrant if I'm going off the rails. So you just, you just let me know. You just give me some feedback on the fly, and we can adjust as we move on. Well, I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you. I think this is a universal experience. Christmas is always on the horizon. It's always out there. We know what's coming. We even, you know, get the church decorated. And you think you have all the time in the world, and then you wake up one morning, and it feels like it is on you, right? I mean, that is like, and that happened to me this week. I think it was like Monday morning after ending the last series, thinking about now of Christmas, I woke up and realized, oh, I have to write a Christmas Eve message. I still have to shop. I still have to get, I mean, it was like everything I realized is on us, right? now. Um, so we got ahead of that a little bit by saying, hey, when that happens, that's your cue, that's our cue as a people to stop and to be still. Just say, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I have things to do. Stuff has to get done. Shopping is going to happen. Cards are going to out. Arrangements need to be made. But I will not lose the presence of God. The invitation of Christmas, and that is to know that He is Emmanuel. He is with us. So anytime you feel the anxiety attacks welling up, and, and friends, that's actually a thing. That actually, during the holiday season, uh, it's almost as if it, uh, there's this magnification of problems, of issues, of things we're dealing with in life. So be very sensitive uh, to yourself uh, and be sensitive to those around you that this season will magnify uh, difficulties, complexities, hardships in life in unique ways. But we can be a calming, peaceful, joyful, loving presence uh, for family, for friends, for, for our community. So that's my encouragement to everyone. This is coming from uh, Psalm 46. And I'm going to read the context of this Be Still passage, which is kind of guiding, directing us for the next two weeks here as we move into our celebration Christmas Eve. And uh, I'm going to read for you actually so a, a kind of a block of verses that happen in Psalm 46 that tells us this. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. 
I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'm going to give you a little sermon before the sermon, a little bonus material. Sound good? All right, so we have invited you to partake in the Jesse Tree devotional. We kick that off on December 1st, and what that is all about, if you're not familiar, is that brings us through the Old Testament, through the promises of the coming Messiah to the birth of Christ, and that brings us through the lives of a number of Bible characters that we meet, namely Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and on to Jesse and David. And I was struck by that reading and struck by this verse that talks about the God of Jacob is our fortress. And our reading that prepared us for this, we get a bit of the story of Jacob and where we pick up his story in our readings actually put us at this moment where he is on the run from his brother Esau. He has tricked his brother, he has stolen the birthright, and his brother wants to kill him. So take peace in this right now. No matter what situation you're walking into this coming Christmas season, I doubt it's as bad as Jacob's situation. I doubt you are just talking with your spouse and saying, you know, I'm really concerned about seeing my brother this year. After all, he wants to kill me. I don't, I, at least I pray none of us are in that. Some people are like, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I mean we walk into difficult situations in Christmas. We know we might get cornered by an uncle who wants to talk politics with us and will not let it go. We know we're going to have to deal with a cousin who thinks everybody else in the world is wrong and they have it all figured out and we're all so ignorant about these ancient beliefs that we, we walk into some difficult situations, right? But none of us has it as bad as Jacob, who is on the run. We can take peace and know that God is our fortress. Well, well, Jacob is on the run, and he gets to this place where he's exhausted, and, and he just decides he needs to lay down, and he needs to take a nap. And we read in that passage, it says that, and he took a stone, and he used it as a pillow. Now, in case that didn't really hit you, let me just repeat that again. He took a stone, and he used it as a pillow. I have never had it so bad in my life that I needed to use a stone for a pillow. I almost called this message a stone for a pillow, but I decided that wouldn't be too inspiring for us. But I think I have a, a series brewing in the back of my mind here about these difficult situations that we walk into in life. I mean, we are trying to get some rest in life, and it feels like we have a stone for a pillow. We are trying to be still, and yet people keep putting demands on us. We are trying to be still and know that He is God, and yet things keep seeming to pull us away from the quiet of worship. We are trying to keep our finances in order, and yet people keep wanting more and more and more and more from us. We are trying so hard, but sometimes it feels like in life we have a stone for a pillow. So we will go to him to find our rest. We are going to move now into this Christmas story. And what I introduced last week as we transitioned out of the seven word series and we're moving now into the Christmas season, I made this observation for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, we know the Christmas story and we say yes and amen to the story. What is left for us 
who affirm the story, who believe the story, or are living into the story. What is left for us is the wow, the hallelujah, the amen, the worship of the Christ. So we want to move into that worship. And so what I want to do is I want to talk with us for the next two weeks, this Sunday and next Sunday, the 22nd, in preparation for our celebration Christmas Eve, about the deeper meaning of Christmas. Normally during the Christmas season, we go to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Let me back up and make sure we're all on the same page here. We have our New Testament, and our New Testament starts with the four stories. We have a four-dimensional view of the life, the ministry, the meaning of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew contains some stories about the birth of Jesus Christ, and that's largely from the Jewish perspective, which makes sense as Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies given to the people of God, Israel, the, the Jewish nation. And we see Jesus fulfilling those prophecies, and, and Matthew, I mean, not exclusively, but he really leans into the Jewish angle and the life of Joseph. Thank goodness, then, we have Luke. Luke, a little bit, we believe, shortly thereafter, does another examination of the life of Jesus from the outside. Interestingly enough, he seems to focus on, again, not exclusively, but, but predominantly on the women in the story. We have the life of Elizabeth and Mary and the miracles happening around the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, these stories both give us of the narrative the storyline, which we love, which we celebrate, which we lean into. Well, John comes at it very differently. John was one of the disciples of Jesus, and John, it appears, will be writing several years, maybe a decade or, or, or more, after these events as he has been exiled on the island of Patmos, and he is looking at the end of his life, and he feels that he needs to share more about Jesus his Lord, his Savior. In fact, John, when we read through this gospel, we find this audacious statement over and over again. He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. But as I always like to remark, whenever I see that, the disciple whom Jesus loved, I think, oh, that that would be my identity. Oh, that that would be all of our identities. That we would, before anything else, understand ourselves to be the disciple who Jesus loves. Yes, I am George, the husband of Robin. I'm George, the father of Eden and Karis and Justin. I'm George, the pastor of Connections, which is my joy. But before any of that, I am George, the disciple that Jesus loves. And so are you. Jesus loves you and gave his life for you. I mean, that should be the core of identity. Anyways, John, the disciple who Jesus loves, as he reflects on Jesus, his Savior, his Lord, his love, he doesn't go into the narrative of the story. He, he jumps right to the meaning of the story. And that's why I want to reflect on him these next two weeks, so that we can get deeper into the meaning of the story, so that when we hear the story again, it will be infused, filled with depth for each and every one of us. So we're going to pick up with his telling of the story, and it goes like this. I'm going to jump right into the Gospel of John. I'm going to read uh, the first five verses, and then we're going to jump to actually verse 14, which I touched upon last week when we said that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Here's how John starts his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made 
that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, here's what I believe to be true for most of us. You kind of got glazed eyes for a lot of that, didn't you? The Word and life and life. There's a lot happening here. (laughs) He boils it down to this. This being the ultimate meaning of Christmas, this being the one verse, actually the half verse, that we're going to unpack now this morning. Verse 14, it comes to this. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Amen. Yes and amen. (laughs) And let me just finish it off. This is what we touched on last week. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Before I go on, just to give credit where credit is due every year, I like to pick up a book, and it helps me to see Christmas with fresh eyes, because you have to see Christmas with fresh eyes after 20 years of preaching it. Uh, Tim Keller's Hidden Christmas, I commend it to you next to the text of the Bible itself. This is awesome stuff, so there you go, bonus material. If you want, everything from here is ripped off. So here we go. I mean, I'll put my angle on it, but, you know. So, Jesus, the Word, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Let's talk about this Word. Jesus is the Word. The significance of words is that words are the clearest revelation of who we are. In our modern world, we think scientific observation is the deepest, most meaningful, most perfect revelation. But observation is quite limited, particularly when it comes to relationship. Observation is very limited, and we need to move from observation into conversation if we're going to truly know someone and who they are and their intentions. I recently moved to a new neighborhood, and it's interesting for me to think about what my neighbors might think of me if they would only observe my life. If they would only observe my life because my kids are older now, they might not even realize that I have children because my children are old. Some are even out of the house, and the others are just off doing their own thing. Hi, kids there. I mean, I mean so they might not even know I have kids. They think I just love this dog, you know, that I go out with every morning, and I'm like hugging him and kissing him. And be like, this guy, like, he's just all about his dog, you know? Like, they wouldn't know so much more of my family. They might think I'm a professional biker, which would be awesome because they see me leave in the morning on a bike and come back like eight, nine hours later. Like, did he bike all day? So, you only pick up certain things, right, by observation. It's not until you have a conversation that you really know somebody. My neighbor's right next door, Chris and Nancy. I hope you meet them someday, because I'm praying for them and I'm getting to know them. I thought they were grumpy curmudgeons when I first started seeing them around. Turns out that he lost his first wife, and this is his second marriage. Turns out that she lost a daughter to a rare illness not more than three years ago. And that she herself is now going through cancer treatment and fighting for her life. I wouldn't know that stuff. I wouldn't know how to pray for that stuff. I wouldn't know how to be compassionate towards that stuff if I was only observing them. To only observe them, I'd think they are bitter and angry and don't want to know anybody. But now I know how deeply hurt they've been in the past seasons of their lives. 
And I'm able to now come to them with more sympathy and empathy and compassion and love as a neighbor. You need to get to know somebody's words if you're going to get to know them. You need to have a conversation to really have things revealed to us, right? So, Jesus becomes God's conversation, God's word for us. Now, somebody here is astutely thinking in the back of their head, I've heard some of this stuff before, Pastor George, and I know that's a very unique word for word there in the Bible. You're right. It is unique. It is unique to John. It is unique to his writings. We translate the word logos here for the word, word. If you studied philosophy, you know, you'll know about ethos and pathos and logos. You know, we have our, 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 our ethics, our morals, we have our emotions, and we have our reason. And most commonly, we'll kind of put this logos or this logos into this reason, this logic, this mind category. There's two words for word, Rima, that's where you just see, those are just the spoken words, the word we translate word, starting to get redundant, sound weird. But, but John wants there to be more depth and meaning here. So he specifically, well, to be, to be perfectly frank, he, he kind of usurps, he, he, he takes this word logos, and, and he hijacks it, and he puts it into the scriptures for us, so that we understand from a philosophical point of view that Jesus Christ is going to become the conversation, this revelation, this communication to us of the deepest meaning of who God was and is and is to be. So Jesus becomes for us this very conversation in flesh for us to know God. And, and, and that's very specific uh, and very important for understanding the meaning of Christmas, that when God wants to reveal himself for us, he doesn't give us just spoken words in the form of a proof. He gives us a word that becomes flesh so that we can have a conversation, so that we can come into a deeper relationship then with God himself. And this then leads us to the second point. So Jesus is this word of God who becomes flesh for us. I want to spend most of my time now talking about the importance of this incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Word, becoming flesh for us. This past week, I got invited on Facebook to join this little challenge called 10 Movies in 10 Days, and you're supposed to post these movies that you love in particular. It's very embarrassing to post the movies that you love. It's very vulnerable. We're going to get into some vulnerability things to post these movies that mean things to you. One of the movies that I posted that is very meaningful to me Please don't judge me. One of the movies that I posted was Conan the Barbarian. Any Conan fans out there? I just got to know if I'm preaching. All right, one fan, and that's just total sympathy for me. Nobody else is willing. I, I have complete, I, I understand if you're unwilling to step here. Because when I was a young man at 10 years old and I first saw Conan, I thought this is what it means to be a man. Everything I thought it meant to be a man, I learned from Conan the Barbarian until I met Jesus Christ and he took over my life. Well, Conan, of course, he is orphaned, he is imprisoned and enslaved, he is on the run, he has spent his life seeking 
revenge. And at this key point in the movie, he stands before the man who has brought all of this pain into his life. And he asks him, because he knows as a barbarian, I know so, I know too much about this movie, it's so embarrassing. Um, he knows that, that Conan's belief is that when he dies, he has to stand before Crom and answer the riddle of steel. And he says, do you know the riddle of steel? And then he looks on Conan with great misery because he realizes that Conan doesn't. And he says to him, the riddle of steel is this. It's not steel that's strong. It's the flesh. It's the flesh that forges the sword. It's the flesh that wields the sword. It's the flesh that commands the sword. It's not the steel that's strong, Conan. It's the flesh. And then Conan goes on to kill him. It's wonderful. So, <laughs> flesh is paradoxically incredibly strong and yet incredibly weak and vulnerable. Imagine the strength, imagine the will of God, infinite, almighty, omnipotent, all-knowing. Imagine the paradoxical strength of God to make himself so weak and vulnerable in the flesh. It's mind-boggling, isn't it, that God would confine himself, limit himself, humble himself, humiliate himself to the weakness of the flesh. And this is why I love every year to remind us of what the ancients picked up upon centuries and centuries ago. Oh, we think we have it all figured out, but the wisdom of the ancients is so wonderful for us. When they recognize that paradoxically in Christ, we have both the humiliation and the exaltation of God. We have these two seasons that block out our lives, both marked by two Christian holidays, of course, Christmas and Easter. Christmas is for us the beginning of the humiliation of God, because is it not humiliating for God, infinite, almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent, all of these things we can say about God to become flesh? In fact, this is the beginning of four movements we talk about in the life of Jesus Christ. His humiliation begins with his birth, it carries through his ministry, it goes on to his suffering, and finally, his death. The humiliation of human birth. It is a humbling experience to give birth, and every woman here who's given birth knows it, and it is a humbling experience to be born and to be so helpless. The humiliation, the humility of going through the pain and the toil, the agony, the sweat, the aches and the pains of life and ministry that Jesus knows. The humiliation of his betrayal, his beating, his suffering, the ultimate humiliation of his death. But this, of course, sets the stage for his exaltation, that he is resurrected, that he rises, that he is reigning, and that he is returning again in glory. And oh, that we would be identified with Christ, both then in his humiliation, that we would be willing to be identified with Christ, to die for Christ, to suffer for Christ, to go through humiliation on behalf of Christ our Savior and Lord. Oh, that we would then be exalted and glorified with him. This might be a yes and amen kind of moment, by the way. People, we're getting excited. We're getting excited about church liturgy. That's, that's a miracle in and itself. I mean, this is the beauty, the miracle, the majesty that Christmas begins for us. And this paradoxical strength and weakness of the flesh that Jesus incarnates. 
Now, I've learned something about the weakness of the flesh. You see, in my obsession with Conan the Barbarian, I was trying to become Conan the Barbarian. Someday I may show you a picture of me in college with my hair halfway down my back and hitting the gym and drinking protein shakes and trying to get huge and trying to become the next Arnold. The genetics weren't in it for me because in the midst of my trying to become Arnold, oh, there's some funny pictures of me out there, friends. Um, <laughs> I got a hernia. If you ever had a hernia, turn your head and cough right now for me. So, <laughs> a lot of men are turning their head and coughing right now. In the midst of my becoming, trying to become the strongest I could possibly become, I realized how weak I truly was when I got a hernia and it hurt to <laughs> lift a pencil. And I was humiliated in the sense I was humbled. I mean, I could not even go to the bathroom by myself. But there's a strength in that because through that, I learned a deeper sympathy, a deeper empathy and compassion for people who go through struggles and hardships. I truly believe that it is because of that pain and other pains in my life that I've been able to become the pastor that I am today, and I am far from being a perfect pastor, but at least I'm a pastor who I think can understand, again, sympathize with those who go through the sufferings of the flesh in this world, just as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. One of our favorite texts, of course, in the Christmas season comes from the prophet Isaiah, where he said this, I gotta find my verse here, where he said this in chapter nine, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Why is Jesus the Wonderful Counselor? He's the wonderful counselor because he knows both the strength and the weakness of the flesh. Have you gone through suffering? So has he. Have you tried to lay your head on a stone for a pillow? So, metaphorically, has he. Have you been betrayed? So has he. Have you been beaten? So has he. Have you suffered relationally? So has he. Have you suffered physically? So has he. Have you suffered emotionally? So has he. He has suffered in any and every way we can possibly imagine, and therefore Jesus Christ is for us the wonderful counselor. You go to the one who knows what it's like to go through it and come out stronger on the other side, and this is who Jesus has become for us, be becoming God Emmanuel with us in the flesh. He knows he knows what you are going through. He knows what you are suffering. Even if you are suffering, friends, here's the point, and then I'll move on to the last points. Even if you are suffering to the point of feeling abandoned by the God that you are calling out to, Jesus himself knows what it is like to call out to the Father and yet feel abandoned, for that is the very act of the cross where Jesus took on the weight of the world, the sins, and atoned for them in his death, bearing the burden, taking the death that we deserve. He knows any and every suffering that we might go through, even the suffering of feeling abandoned by God. So go to him. Go to him with all of your struggles, all of your trials, all of your cares, and he will be there for you. So Jesus is the word 
this revelation, this conversation that begins to happen to us as we move into a relationship with God because he comes to us in the flesh. And then John points this out, and this is where John go, again goes so deep for us and made his dwelling among us. And here we find unique in the Gospel of John, the word that he chooses to use here is the same word that we find in the Exodus story when we read that God made his dwelling, his tent. Technically speaking, he uses the word, he was tabernacling. Not really a word, but we're going to use it here in church. Jesus was tabernacling among us. You see, we went through the Exodus story this, this past summer, and as a key part of that story, God's people, of course, call out for a deliverer, and God promises deliverance. He sends them Moses. He uses Moses to fulfill his purpose of setting his people free and making them into a nation, and they're moving out of captivity, and they're moving into this promised land, and God is beginning this wonderful process of remaking, reforming, sort of breaking and rebuilding them to a new identity in him. And it gets to the point where he's using Moses as, as his spokesperson, as the, this mouthpiece. And at one point, it's quite beautiful, Moses wants to see God as he's had this revelation. God says, you can't see me, my glory is too great and mighty. And he, he kind of hides Moses in a cleft in the rocks and he passes by and sees the glory. But God wants more and he wants to be with his people. So he says, here's going to be the plan. I'm going to be with you in this tabernacle, in this tent. And I will always be available for to you. But still, his glory was so great that within the tent, there was the Holy of Holies, this inner chamber, and God would dwell there. And it was too much. It was too much for us until Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ becomes for us the tabernacling, the dwelling of God with us now in the flesh. Charles Wesley put it this way. In the hymn that we, I don't know if we're going to sing this one or not. Maybe we should now, because this is a great one here. Charles Wesley, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, gives us this line. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Let me say that again, if you, in case you didn't catch it. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead hide, the Godhead behind a curtain, the Godhead withdrawn? No, no, no. Veiled in flesh now, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Christ for us is finally seeing, knowing, and being known by God in the flesh. So what then does this all mean for us? That Jesus is the Word, that Jesus the Word become flesh, and He is now dwelling with us. This means that Christmas, perhaps more than anything else, is the end of religion and the beginning of the relationship we've always longed for with God. Christ is the end of religion and the beginning of our true abiding relationship in and with Jesus Christ, knowing and being known by Him now and forever. This is the meaning, the gift, the call of Christmas to us, to enter into a relationship with our living God who has become flesh and dwelt among us, so me, we may dwell with him now and evermore. Dick Lucas, uh, a missionary from another century, uh, wrote a, a, a compilation of some short stories, and I won't go into the details of it, but one of them, he, he, he just reflects on a conversation that might happen with one of the first Christians and one of their neighbors 
now after the life of Jesus Christ. And the neighbor, and the way he tells the story, the, the neighbor comes to the Christian and, and says, says I, I understand you're a Christian now. And the Christian, all excited, says, yes, yes, I am. I met Jesus Christ, and I'm very excited to give my life to him and be a Christian now. And he says, oh, that's very interesting. That's great, because in the ancient world, people thought it was great to have a bunch of religions that might give some truth and some insight into the world. He says, that's great. So, so where's, your, where's, your, where's your temple? He says, oh, we, we don't have a temple anymore. <laughs> Jesus has become for us the temple. We gather in homes and we worship, but we don't have a temple anymore. It's not needed. Christ is our temple. He says, oh, that's interesting. So, so where do your priests do their work? He says, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, we don't, we don't ha- need priests anymore. We used to have prophets and priests and kings and all that, but now Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king, the, the Messiah for us. And we still have teachers and we encourage one another, but we don't have priests anymore. He says, oh, that's interesting. He says, so where, where do you offer your sacrifices then? He's, the Christian says, well, we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore because Christ came to die for us. And he is the Lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins of the world. And we now have life forever in him. The one and only sacrifice ever needed has been fulfilled for us. And the, the neighbor finally says, you have no temple, you have no priest, you have no sacrifice. It doesn't sound like you have a religion anymore at all. And the Christian says, I guess you're right. We don't have a religion anymore at all. We now have our relationship with the living God. This is the gift, the meaning, the call of Christmas for us. It is the end of religion. Now the invitation to enter into relationship, to know and be known by Jesus Christ. Let me wrap it up with this. Whenever we were in Canada planting a church and we were uh, homeschooling our kids, my wife signed up for um, the, we lived in London, Ontario, and we lived right next to Stratford, which was the Shakespeare Festival place in Canada. It's kind of like the Branford, Missouri, Missouri, whatever Branford is, of, of Canada. And they always had a lot of theaters there going on. And so Robin signed up for this thing that if ever there were open seats in a show, they would email her like the, t- the day before, and we'd get to go up and put some, you know, art and education and some culture into our kids, and we'd see all these shows. So the one day, she says, I can get us tickets for Don Quixote's The Man from La Mancha. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, wasn't too thrilled about that one, to be perfectly honest. But I said, let's go. I'll try to, you know, again, get some culture in here, improve myself. I've seen Conan enough times. I should probably see something a little bit more enduring. And so we went, we saw the man from La Mancha, and full confession, I didn't get most of it. But there came a point in the second act where Don Quixote meets Aldonza, the prostitute, and he falls in love with her. And so they begin this song that goes back and forth. I won't read for you the whole song, it, get, it gets quite long, but I'm going to read for you this little transcript of the song that they begin to sing back and forth to each other. And of course, the point to where this is going, begin to see yourself in the song you might sing back and forth with your Savior. Don Quixote begins by calling Aldonza his lady, and she replies in song back to him, I am not your lady. I am not any kind of a lady. I was spawned in a ditch by a mother who left me there, naked and cold and too hungry to cry. 
And she goes on to sing about her misery in life. And then Don Quixote, he only replies in verse again and again, and still thou art my lady. And she replies, and still he torments me. How could I be a lady? And he replies, never deny that thou art Dulcina, the sweetness, my sweet lady. She replies back to him, take the clouds from your eyes and see me as I really am. With your sweet Dulcienas no more, I am no one, I'm nothing, I'm Aldonza the whore. And he replies, now and forever, thou art my lady Dulciana. He refuses to see her as anything but his sweetness, his love, the one he wants to give his life for. At first, she is bemused by this, and then she is angered by this, and then ultimately, in the story, she is transformed by this. And maybe for us, that's the journey of Christmas. Maybe we hear this story as children and we're bemused by it. Oh, that's a lovely tale, that God would love us so much that He would become flesh and dwell with us so that we might have the end of the religion and the beginning of our relationship with God. And then as we come into our young adult years, perhaps we are angered by the audacity of this story. How could a God do this? Why would a God do this? Is it really a gift like this? It's perhaps too good to be true. But if we keep leaning into the story of Christmas, perhaps we can come to that place of transformation where we believe that this is the ultimate truth and revelation of God to us, that we would be called His ladies, His men, his children, his own, because of Christ, our brother. I'm going to invite our band to come up, and they're going to lead us in some worship. Let me say a prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, how good it is to step into this Christmas season and take time with my people to reflect on the meaning of what is unfolding in our midst. And may we be captivated by this revelation given to us by your servant, our brother John, the beloved disciple, the disciple that you loved, that we may know that we are loved in you. And his beautiful, simple boiling down of this incredible story handed to us, this story that we will tell and retell and tell again on Christmas Eves and in years to come. But let us not forget now, but lean into this meaning revealed for us that you, Jesus Christ, are the Word of God, that you have become flesh incarnate for us so that your dwelling may be with us now and forever, and may we choose to dwell now and forever with you. May this story go from an amusing child's tale, from perhaps an, an angry and inciting gift that seems too good to be true, to the deep transformation of our souls and our lives in you, for this is the gift of Christmas, that we have light and life, and love in you now and forevermore. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.